Hi, and welcome back to another episode. This is episode 14, Community Rights, Occupy Community Rights. Uh, that, uh, my my co-host is Dave Callahan. Say hey, Dave, and take it away, would you? Introduce sure, Terry. Hi. Uh, I will. Um, we're um, here in Columbus, Ohio today, and I just happened to come out of about a uh, eight or nine-hour conference with my two new friends from the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, CELDEF, um, the website celdef.org. Uh, Tish and Emmelyn did a fantastic job today of teaching some of us uh, folks here in the Columbus area, and I drove up from Florida just for the sake of being here, so <laughs> we thought it might be a good idea that since this is real time, that we might want to have a conversation uh, in an hour here about uh, the things that I learned and also about how uh, community rights is a very important uh, thing for us to wrap our minds around and become involved in in our communities because, you know, the whole principle, Terry, that we've talked about of subsidiarity and uh, that local problems have to be solved locally. So uh, take a moment, uh, Tish and uh, Emily, and introduce yourselves. Give us a real quick uh, background about yourselves and your involvement with CELDEF, and then we'll go from there. Well, my name is Emily Leibarger, and I've been working with the Legal Defense Fund since 2005. I work now um, for the last several years as an outreach coordinator. So I do a lot of our donor and funding outreach, and I work on our website and do a lot of our communications and publications. Um, and I also uh, teach the national, our National Democracy School and then these state-based workshops on community rights. Um, hi, I'm Tish O'Dell. I'm the Ohio organizer for the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. And I actually have been doing this about four years now, but have been working on community rights for the last five and a half because I started in my local community of Broadview Heights, Ohio, which is about, it's a suburb of Cleveland, um, just 11 miles south of Lake Erie. And we faced a harm in our community and drilling was the issue at hand and went through local channels to try and fix it. And then someone, as I was running for mayor in my community, said, have you ever heard of Zelda? And I hadn't. So I Googled them, and they were the ones who actually came out and assisted our community group in drafting a local law, which we passed by the people in 2012. Fantastic. You know, in sitting here today and going through all the information, it was comprehensive and, and covered so many uh, aspects of things. And uh, being able to have practical solutions to solving some of these problems is really critically important. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time over the last few months uh, trying to wrap our minds around what's been going on out in North Dakota with the uh, pipeline uh, protests uh, by the Native Americans out there and uh, thought that might be a good springboard of uh, conversation to start with. And, Emily, I'd like you to kind of help us here. The question is, you know, uh, and I know you weren't involved directly with that, but that is a really good example, I think, of some of the problems that we face and how we might be able to uh, participate and and be involved in advocacy and activism to solve local problems and thought it might be a good way for us to tie in prior conversations that Terry and I have been involved with people into an issue. Um, how would CELDEF be involved and, and what are kind of the issues that would be raised in looking at that? problem uh, and how uh, we might, you know, go about 
solving the issues involved? Well, I think from our perspective, Standing Rock was really uh, teaching us, is teaching us, and has taught us a lot about what community rights actually is. Like, what do the people do in the places where they live to protect themselves and the ecosystem? The people of Standing Rock um, took a stand to protect their water, and they weren't going to quit, you know, no matter what was being said to them or what was being done. And I think um, particularly as white people, um, for those of us who are white in, in our communities, that we, we have uh, an assumption that we're governing ourselves. And really that's um, a veil that in our work with the Legal Defense Fund and out in our communities that we're trying to pull that veil back to reveal, no, we actually don't get to govern ourselves, that that is the propaganda and the myth that we live under. The Native people have a history of not being able to govern themselves. Um, the United States government signed treaties with them when it was convenient and then breaks the treaties when it's convenient, as we saw at Standing Rock over this past year. Um, and I think um, the symbolism there is it comes out of, I know I taught a school with uh, a colleague uh, in the Dakotas just outside of the Sioux Reservation there, and one of the Native women said to us, you know, at least we, Native Americans, know that we live on a reservation. You all don't even realize it, right? And so um, recognizing how we all are being treated as resource colonies, as fracking and other environmental harms are forced into our communities, and then seeing what the Standing Rock people um, are doing and how so many people came together to support them, I think is really a lesson for all of us in learning what's possible when people come together and what people are willing to do to protect the places that they live. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting little comment uh, she made about uh, being on the reservation and we just don't realize it. It's, it's really incredible the number of ways in which we're manipulated and controlled and, uh, and over a long period of time we've just become kind of like the frog in the pot of water where it's, you know, mm -hmm. the heat's been turning up and it's getting to a place now where we almost feel like we have no uh, ability to do anything. But uh, what's your thoughts on that? Or, Tish, if you want to chime in as well, you know, what, uh, what about the whole question of what can we do? Well, I mean, one of the things, you know, as an organizer in the state, I mean, I'm dealing with community groups. That's what I do. I go around the state talking to people in their communities that have called me up, you know, asking for help and saying, what can we do? And what's interesting is we constantly look to other people or places to come and help us and solve our problems. And what we have to show people and that's what part of my, you know, job is, I think, around the state, is that there's no one that's going to come and save you and protect you. It's up to us, the people. We're, we've become so, I guess, propagandized and, you know, thought, taught to believe that there's someone else, you know, and that's part of the thing. We look to the government thinking the government is going to solve all our problems and fix everything and protect us, and that's just not the case because, obviously, they're part of our problem. Right? We're the solution, but we people don't seem to look at it that way anymore. Right. Let's talk about the solution a little bit. Uh, I thought it might be appropriate for us to get a little bit of a lesson from you folks. Uh, somewhat, uh, It's a little bit more difficult because we can't put the easel up there and show the picture, but 
there were two specific presentations that you gave that were very simple in helping us understand what's going on when we're dealing with regulatory bodies and then with uh, the big problem that we're trying to address. And uh, the first picture I'm thinking about is, if you imagine an upside-down triangle, we call it the, the regulation triangle. Um, could you take a couple minutes, um, Emily, and, and give us an idea of what that's about and uh, if it's possible to do it just uh, verbally? Uh, I think that's a good sure. place to start for people to get their minds wrapped around this. Right. So if you can just picture this upside-down triangle, so the, horizontal, the broad horizontal line is at the top, and where we start is this broad problem statement. So a community uh, learns about a threat that's coming in, say a pipeline or an injection well or an incinerator or factory farm, and they get word of it and they sit around together and they say, okay, what are we going to – what's happening here? You know, and the things that they come up with that they describe, um, they talk about, well, we're worried about the threat to our water and our air. We're worried about the economic impacts. We're worried about the health impacts. We're worried about property values. We're concerned um, about how this is happening when we haven't agreed to it. Right, so they start off with this really broad problem statement, recognizing a, a big picture of what's going on. And then um, they figure out, okay, well, what do we need to do about it? And one of the first things they may do um, is to call the EPA in the state. So in, in Ohio would be the Ohio EPA. If it's fracking, it would be the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. And if you can imagine down the right side of that triangle um, going towards the point, some arrows pointing down there, if you call the ODNR, they may say to you, sure, we hear that you're concerned about this. We've got a hearing Thursday at 7 p.m. We'd love to hear your concerns. Please come and participate in this hearing, the permit hearing. So we get funneled down to this, this a narrow point. Um, we may um, hear in the newspaper that there's an announcement about this hearing Thursday night at 7 p.m. Um, so it's in the media. We uh, may reach out to the corporation itself and saying, you know, we're really concerned about you coming into our community. Um, we actually don't want you to come in. We're worried about it. And the corporation will say, you know, we really want to be good neighbors. And, you know, there's a hearing Thursday, 7 p.m. We're going to be there. We'd love to have you there because we really want to hear what your concerns are. So you have um, – these things, um, these agencies, governmental agencies and corporations that are all pointing us down to this narrow point, this regulatory point that's at the bottom of the triangle. Now, we also might reach out to environmental um, groups like, um, well, the work that the Legal Defense Fund used to do. We don't do it anymore. But other environmental um, law firms, public interest law firms, and you can imagine the left side of the box, arrows going down, and if you call for an environmental attorney, uh, she or he would say, you know what, I can help you out at this permit hearing Thursday at 7 p.m., right? And so even our own allies um, drive us down to this very narrow point at the bottom of this triangle where we started off at the top with this broad problem statement, but when we traveled down the funnel, um, down to this regulatory point, and we show up at the hearing and... Um, we're given uh, one minute or two minutes or maybe three minutes to voice our concerns. Um, the only thing we get to talk about is something like um, 
what the setback is going to be for the fracking well from the schools or from the hospitals or people's backyards. Um, we don't get to talk about the economic concerns, the broader health concerns. We don't get to talk about the democratic concerns we have that we're not able to make the governing decisions in the places where we live. And so um, we're also, um, if we don't have PhDs after our name, if we're not experts, um, often we'll be dismissed as being just passionate and what we're saying is all about feelings and emotions, right? And so we're blocked and we end up talking about, all right, we, what can we get? What's the best that we can get? Well, the best we can get is a 500-foot setback. All right, well, at least we got something, right? And the corporations, they were already willing to do that 500-foot setback. That wasn't a problem for them. They still get to come in and frack or dump or factory farm or whatever it is. Um, and so we talk about that regulatory point as a place of where um, we really shift from talking about what it is we want in our communities and have a conversation about what's the best we can get. And our work um, at Saldus and with our communities that we partner with is to flip that around and say, no, we actually want to talk about what we want in our communities. It sounds about like 15, the way that it turns out in – go ahead, Jerry. Uh, we're about 15 minutes into the show. Uh, there was a question came up. You said legal, legal defense, and then it, I thought you said you're not doing that anymore. Can you elaborate on the legal defense sure. real briefly? Got about five sure, minutes. Sure. So, okay. The Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund was founded in 1995. And we first started out assisting, we were a public interest law firm, and we thought that there weren't enough public interest attorneys in the United States. And so we wanted to assist communities to protect them from factory farming and incinerators and those kinds of things. What we um, started off doing was to help communities in that regulatory system to fight the permit. So we would help them go through the permit application. We would find... Um, uh, a signature that was missing or an environmental impact statement that was missing, and uh, the judge would overturn the permit based on the missing items that we found. So right. we had a, fab a fabulous track record. Um, we had lots of wins in that regard. And, uh, but what would happen two or three months later after the community celebrated and um, everyone was happy about it, the corporation would come back with an ironclad permit. And the community would come back to us and say, hey, can you um, do your magic again? Can you overturn this, get this permit overturned? And we would basically say there's nothing else we can do. They've got an ironclad permit. And so even though on paper we had all of these wins, the reality was our communities who we were trying to help and support were um, being harmed by the threat that was initially um, proposed. And so we started to rethink our strategies. Um, the communities came to us and said, we don't understand why this is happening. Um, so they were really the, the impetus behind our rethinking our work. And we began to examine the structure of law we live under, um, which Tish will take us into in just a moment, like how is it that we don't get to make the decisions in the places where we live? That's really critical, the, the why question, isn't it? Because um, that's where, from what I understand, many of these uh, communities were coming back because they were finding that even though they had 
you know, won and prevailed in a uh, certain uh, level of the, of the process, they then had the very thing that they thought that they were solving come back and hit them again until they said, well, wh- why, why is it that we're still having to deal with this problem? And it, right. it seems, isn't that where the, the issue went, is you had to go deeper into the uh, questions to find uh, where you could find some ways to give us remedy. Right. So we started examining this regulatory system. Who is it actually working on behalf of? Well, it's not working on behalf of the people, but it certainly seems to be working very well for the corporations who want to come in and cite their projects that's harming the community. Well, why are the corporations right. actually prevailing? Is there an answer to that question? Um, well, that's when then we got into examining the structure of law as it's set up. Um, Emlyn just went over just one part, which is the regulatory system and how that's set up. So we describe it as, and if you can visualize this, we have a box. So just picture a square box, and there's four sides to the box. And we say that this is the system of law that we're operating in. Our communities are in the middle of this box. And so the four sides are actually the um, structure of our current system of law that keeps us in and keeps us from preventing and governing our communities and preventing the activities that we don't want to happen. So, for example, at the top of the box, if you can picture that, is what we have we call state preemption and Dillon's law, Dillon's rule. And basically what that is is when a community, say they tried to prevent, you know, fracking from going on, like in Ohio, we have a state law that's been passed, House Bill 278 in 2004, which preempts any local community from passing any law or regulation having to do with oil and gas drilling. It's all handled by the state and was put all in the hands of a state agency, the ODNR, which is not elected by the people, and they make all decisions on oil and gas drilling that goes on in any community in the state. And if you try to change that and either modify the regulations, make them stricter, whatever, you'll come up against the state preemption. And Dillon's rule is just, um, you know, some states maybe don't have specific preemption against oil and gas, and we're just using that as one example. Um, But they would still be applying the judicial system, will still apply Dillon's rule, which says that a state is basically like the parent and the local communities are the child underneath the state. That's how it's set up. And whatever the state deems to be the rules, the the local communities have to follow. And that isn't even an actual law. It's just an opinion. A legal doctrine. A doctrine, yeah, by a Supreme Court justice in Iowa. I don't remember what was the year. Uh, I don't, 1911 is when he wrote, yeah. wrote it. So John Forrest Dillon. That's the top side of the box that will keep communities from stopping that activity. Then if you move to the right side of the box, we have um, human um, labor as property and we have nature as property. And part of we're going to deal with the nature, I guess, if we're talking drilling and environmental concerns, nature in our system of law and structure of law is considered property which has no right. So in other words, whoever owns that piece of property has the right to destroy that property and do with it what they want. And so in other words, say a a wealthy property owner in the community decides they want to, um, let's say there's a lot of logging that could go on or timbering, and let's say the community lies beneath where that's going to happen. It doesn't matter if the whole community says, you know what, if you start cutting down all those trees, 
that could cause serious erosion. It could actually bury the town. And we've seen this out on the West Coast. Um, they can't stop it because he has the right. It's his property. can do with it what he wants. So this is something when we talk about rights of nature that we have to change in our structure of law right now. We have to make nature um, having rights of its own to flourish and thrive because we have to all admit to ourselves that without healthy environment, which is nature, we can't survive. So that's the second side of the box and what we come up against when we try to prevent some harm to the environment in our community. The bottom side of the box is corporate rights, corporate personhood. Um, and again, you know, we're all familiar, a lot of people are familiar with Citizens United, that case. But it goes well beyond that. This goes back to the early 1800s. Um, and as you learned today in our <laughs> workshop, even further than that. But um, the whole idea that corporations have more rights, it's actually like a monster we've created. It used to be that we created and corporations by the charters that were issued to them, but these corporations now seem to have more rights based on some legal cases and some court cases, the way the judges have decided, um, and use that against us every day. And part of that, it's not just the corporate personhood. There's also things, the contracts clause, the commerce clause, that also work in conjunction with those to keep us from stopping these harmful activities in our communities. And then the fourth side of the box is that regulatory fallacy that Emmelyn described, and we think it's a way out. We think if we go to this hearing and we get into the regulatory system that that's a way to stop the harm. And then when we get to the funneled to the bottom of that chute, that triangle she described, we find ourselves shot right back into the box. And then the last kind thing like that a, really keeps us... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say kind of like a gerbil running around on a wheel. Exactly. I call. I describe it that way many times. The hamster wheel. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. No, I was just going to say. And then the worst part. That's all the you know the system and structure that's set up to keep us from getting what we want in our communities and protecting our own health, safety, and welfare. But the actually the worst part of it all is that it's us ourselves in the middle. We doubt that we actually have the right to protect our communities and to stand up and pass laws that protect our communities. And so we talk ourselves out of actually doing anything. Yeah, that's the bad news. But what I've learned today is that we actually are able to find remedy. We're able to move in the, in the positive direction and things aren't quite as hopeless, uh, at least as we move forward in this whole direction. There's been learning and there's been growth and development and progress toward coming up with some remedies. And so the rest of this conversation to, today, I think it's going to be to talk about some of those things. I know, Emmeline, you're going to have to drop off here in a couple of minutes. Uh, would you want to just uh, take us down that road a little bit in terms of how do we uh, start moving forward on uh, achieving the results which we want, which is the people gaining back our rightful place in controlling our local communities, our society, uh, our situations in which we find ourselves in 21st century society. Well, I think Tish spoke to this a bit at the opening. I think one of the first things that has to happen is for us to stop looking for someone else to come in and save us. And I think that's really difficult because from the time we're little kids, we're taught in, through the education system and through our surrounding community and in our culture um, to turn to the state and federal government. 
that they're the ones that we need to go to when there's a problem. Um, and when people do go to their local elected officials, they're often told, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. This is just the law. You know, our hands are tied. Go call your local representative. Uh, and there's so much energy today in particular. We see it a lot about inundating your representative with phone calls, emails, letters, all those things. Um, but really, the way out of that box is in our own communities, in the places where we live. That's where we have to start because it's not going to be top down. It's bottom up. And when we look at past people's movements and take lessons from them, we can see very clearly um, that um, when we look at it in detail, uh, that they were grassroots movements. It wasn't that suddenly uh, women got the right to vote because one day Congress said, wow, this is just wrong that women don't have equal suffrage with men. Um, it was over 400 laws that had been adopted at different levels uh, forcing women's rights and be two steps forward, one step back, as we saw when we discussed that in detail today, that finally reached a tipping point that forced women's suffrage into law up at the state and then federal levels. Same with abolition. So we're uh, indoctrinated to think that we need to work top down, but actually we're pretty, um, we're, our, we're not very successful when we go that route. And if we look back over the last 40 years and look at the environment, um, we ask the question sometimes when people insist, well, the EPA is there to help us, um, and there's all these agencies and regulations in place to protect us, we ask the question, well, how is that working for you? Right? How is it working for you? And we can look around and see our environment overall is worse now than it ever has been, so it's not really working very well. And so what do we need to do differently? And what we propose is really, and what our communities um, propose with us, is we need to start in the places where we live. It sounds like it can even go much broader than the environmental issue or the issue of suffrages in the past. Or Can this really be a, um, uh, an approach that can be used for virtually any type of a uh, individual or community rights issue? Well, yeah, one of the things we have to think about, like what makes up a community? And it's much more than just the environment. Of course, the environment's an important part, but when we talk about our communities and you think about the places where you live, I mean, we talk about, you know, the education, right, um, sustainability, like energy. Where is the community going to get its energy source? Um, talking about food production. There's all kinds of things that affect a community. Talking about um, how they're going to deal with all the people in the community, the race issues that go on maybe in a community. Um, recently we've security. heard a lot about immigration. Yeah, security, immigration issues and that. I mean, is it the people in the community? What about gun control? Okay, that's another issue, things like that. Um, it's just interesting, you know, there's so many facets. Housing, right, economic development within a community. And who gets to make the decisions about that community? And are we really self-governing people? Or are we always leaving the, the decisions about our community and the shaping of our community for now and in the future to other people to decide? Or is it the people in the community making those decisions? One of the things that you twenty nine. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, we're twenty nine minutes into the show. Uh, I, real quick, if I could, 
you were talking about the way that you get into a meeting and you get shot out the back end of it and you didn't really feel mm -hmm. like you procedurally had any controls. Uh, that was something that we ran into in the beginning of the Occupy movement. Uh, one of the things that was used to control, control dissent in the individual Occupy communities uh, was Delphi techniques and uh, Alinsky, uh, his his rules for. Uh, have, can either one of you address that, or we'll try and have links up to that. Is that something you guys have come across? How you manipulate a meeting, how you manipulate uh, where a meeting is going to go. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I understand how you're applying what the question is exactly. Well, I did kind of catch you out of left field. I just was. Uh, and remember, we've been teaching all day. We, we've been doing this since eight eight thirty this morning. Yeah. Yeah, you've always had, we're all four teachers, so we, we've always got that problem child, and that's me. Uh, evidently, I came up with that. What is he talking about? Uh, we'll try and put a link up to it. It's how you control a meeting, and how you don't uh -huh. be controlled by the way the meeting is set up to do. Oh, okay. No, we'll yeah, I don't know specifically. Yeah, what you're that referring to. That would be a good thing for, <laughs> for you guys to yeah. teach. Yeah. Well, uh, we do talk a little bit about that, about using the regulatory hearings, you know, to yeah. our advantage instead of yeah. to theirs. And, and it's interesting to see how they've changed. You know, they set up yes. rules about how you can talk, how long you can talk. I mean, and I've done things like go to a regulatory hearing meeting and say, you know what, I'm not going to address, like, they have the three people from the – state agency up at a table on a stage, and I go, I don't really want to talk to you. You know, you're facing that way. And so I turn around and I said, I'm talking to the people in the audience because this is about yes. them. This isn't about you. You know, so there's yes. different, yeah, ways to try and use the, the meetings. One of the solutions that would have helped the early Occupy movements was that they were going for unanimous consent. Uh, that, is there any kind of procedural rules that people individually could be using in their communities by parliamentary procedure? Mm, yeah, we don't get too much into that because that's not our role. That's up right. to the communities themselves. They would be deciding, like, you know, if they're the, self the governing, you know, decision makers, because our role is all about to helping them facilitate and even realize that they can be the decision makers, and that's what we're trying to do. Okay. Well, uh, Dave, uh, got a follow-up there? Well, uh, I was just saying goodbye to Emil, and she's leaving, so i uh, sorry I got pulled away for a second. But, uh, you know, in terms of uh, where we want to go from here, uh, the uh, one of the things that came out of the conversation, Tish, was this whole thing of uh, Community Bill of Rights and how we might be able to provide some real solutions in our communities to getting back control of our lives and of our situations and uh, the areas where we have concerns or some of the threats that we're seeing in environmental or other aspects of our of our lives. Uh, that, this is one of the tools that's kind of developed over the uh, last few years that I think is pretty exciting. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about that and some of the other strategies that are being implemented? Sure. Um what we, you know, again, and it, it's, a, it's going to be a process because, one, what we first have to do, you know, is decolonize our own brains. 
you know, so whatever the issue is at hand in our community, instead of, you know, going to that higher level to fix it for us, if we start thinking, okay, wait a minute, we have to come back and go, we're a self-governing people. I mean, we claim to live in a democracy, right? I mean, this is our history. We celebrate every July 4th, Independence Day, right? No one knows really anymore. I don't think what the holiday is even about. But so if you start from that point and say, no, we are self-governing people, it's about laws, and it's about power, it's about control, and it's about who makes the decisions. So once we can get a community group, you know, to understand some of those things, they go, okay, well, let's pass the law. I mean, right now we're operating under a system and structure where basically the corporations literally are writing the laws. And I think a lot of people, you know, know some of that, and they know it's all about the money that's poured into. We, we say we live in a corporate state. So we've got corporations writing laws that the people are following, you know, and so obviously they're not in our best interest. They're all about corporate profits. They're all about, you know, shareholder returns and all that kind of stuff and not about the people in the community. So at what point do the people in the community say, you know what, these laws are BS and they're unjust. And we're not going to necessarily follow. We think these are illegitimate laws because they're not protecting us and don't have our best interests in, at heart and at center. What we're going to do, we're going to now write laws and pass laws that, guess what, the corporations are going to have to follow. You know, and so that's a big shift. And that's where that black hole of doubt comes in. And we have to, you know, but it takes time for a community to get to this point. And a lot of times what I find is the organizer, they have to first go through all the steps. They have to first go to the regulatory um, system to find out that it's really the regulatory fallacy. They have to first write and call their electorates hundreds and millions of letters and emails and calls and whatever and be ignored or dismissed. And then when they finally get to the end, you know, and they go, there's nothing else for us to try, that's when their minds seem to open up and they're ready to hear there's got to be another way. And so you really need the community behind this and supporting this. And it takes, you know, a lot of people because obviously the local electeds are going to come out against you. They're going to say, you can't do this. That's the first thing they'll say to you. It, it, you're violating law. You don't have the authority to do this. And you have to believe that you actually do. I mean, as a self-governing people, we do have the authority. We have inalienable rights to protect our uh, life, liberty, isn't it? Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And I always tell a community, well, if you're watching them put poison into your water, isn't that interfering with your right to life? Certainly is. So, mm-hmm. so the, ours is about you know people really understanding this and then saying you know what no we're going to write laws that now are in our best interest the future of our community's best interest and that's what the community bills of rights are. It seems that uh, the first stage is obviously the reorientation, re-education, and uh, today was a good example of getting together in a community and just uh, there were. I counted 24 folks in the meeting uh, today, which is a pretty good turnout for uh, taking your Saturday in the community. And I was the only one from out of town, I, I think. <laughs> but uh, out of town meaning outside of Ohio. But the uh, information that was shared and, and just the, the wealth of knowledge and, and insight that was given to us today, uh, these were you know, some very valuable pieces of, of knowledge, it, it went all the way back to uh, the uh, Magna Carta and the Declaration of Independence, many other uh, early documents, the uh, tre- uh, the uh, 
document that uh, Charles II uh, used to give William Penn the ability to uh, uh, start the colony of Pennsylvania and all kinds of really fantastic information that you, you folks have pulled together in order to give us foundational understanding that then can be built upon so that we have uh, a basis in law and, and community uh, rights and direction that really can be useful. Um, that, that seems to be where there's a critical value in what uh, Seldef is uh, providing. Uh, mm-hmm. Your thoughts on that? Well, it, and it's interesting because it, it really is a process. And like when I said, I started in my own community, and that's what had happened. I'd come to the end of, you know, as a community, actually, we'd come to the end that we couldn't try anything else. We went did all the other steps, and um, I actually took the extra step, like I said, of running for mayor. I thought that, I, you know, if I got elected, I could stop the harm that way, that, you know, I learned valuable lessons along the way about our whole process. But... Um, What's really interesting is people are so inundated with the hamster wheel, we'll call it that because I like that analogy and I use that a lot, you know, of what the system, how it's set up and what we're supposed to do, that you come to a class like this a one day and it, people get inspired and they, you know, are like, oh, my God, they're gung-ho, and then they leave. And then it's like they're back out into the world where they're getting inundated and, you know, one cell-deaf person had said it's like they get hooked right back up to the IV drip again. And so I actually attended like three, it's true, I attended like three democracy schools, you know, and then it kind of started sinking in. So it's not even something like you can do once, you know, it's like you almost have to do it repetitively. And what I found encouraging today, there was, we actually have, there's a documentary, we didn't make it. There's some independent filmmakers that actually came to a school and learned about our work and they decided to make a film about it. And it's called We the People 2.0. And we showed that in the Columbus area and then also another about an hour away from here. And five of the people I talked to said they had seen the movie, and that's a 90-minute documentary. So I said, oh, that's nice. It's nice to know that it works in little gradual steps. So they saw the movie, and that inspired them enough to want to learn more. And so now they came to the workshop today. And hopefully the way it works is they'll, like, talk to other people now. Because we all know that the media is part of the corporate state, too, and so it's very difficult for us to get the word out about this work. They don't want more people to know about it, obviously. So a lot of it has to be by people talking to other people, and so, which actually is a good thing because it brings communities together. It brings the people back together and knowing their neighbors. So that's a good thing. Well, we 20, certainly are going to have to left. solve. 20 minutes we're going left, to have well. to solve our – thank you, Terry – we're going to be having to solve our problem by getting involved. And, and sitting on the sidelines and just watching as a observer is just not going to work anymore, it seems. We have to figure out, you know, how we can once again get involved in our society. As, you know, Jefferson said, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, and we have been uh, way too passive and not involved for way too long, it seems. If we don't start getting involved now, uh, we're not going to have a society left to do anything in in short order, it seems. Uh, no, and it's funny, though. I, I, I used, you know, some people like to blame the people. You know, that the people are, you know, I hear that all the time when I go places. All oh, the people are apathetic and blah, blah, blah. And I go, but it's not really all the people's fault. I mean, they've been so deceived and duped, too, along the way, like things with, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency. So, of course, you think that agency is protecting the environment. I mean, that's part of what, the creation of that was and I truly believe that that was all strategic and that's why they did that 
Um, it's, again, to make the people go home. Don't worry about things. I mean, people, in the, they were protesting. They came up with this great solution, right? Let's create an agency paid for by taxpayers with their own tax dollars that actually doesn't protect them but protects the interests of the corporations and will use taxpayer money, though, to fund it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And we have this throughout our whole system, right? And it, like, worked once, so they're like, well, let's replicate this over and over. And so the people were taught to believe and actually thought their money's going to that to agencies that are looking out for them. We, and this has been going for, on for a long time. Terry, you got a comment? Uh, yeah, yeah, have we got a success story out of Ohio? Uh, how, is, how is it going trying to stop fracking? Uh, what, what are things looking like there in Ohio? Yeah, well, what's really interesting is, you know, it's, again, about people resisting. And what we've seen, and we looked at this, actually, I mean, it seems odd in a way, but we have the right to initiative here in Ohio for certain people. So meaning they can take petitions around, propose a law for their community by getting enough petition signatures and putting it on the ballot, and then the people voting for it. And that's what we did in Broadview Heights. Well, of course, we're challenged. So the more we do this, the more the system in the state that has the power because they're not going to give it up willingly or easily, they keep trying to constrict the people's ability and authority. I mean, and it's getting really blatant here. I mean, first they were a little more subtle with some protests trying to keep us off the ballot. Now they've actually passed a law this past December giving the right to local boards of elections to keep things off the ballot if they think they're violating law or the Constitution. Well, these aren't even like, you know, they have no credentials to do that. I mean, that's the courts that's supposed to do that. So it's interesting. They're now passing laws directly aimed at the work we're doing because we started in 2012, two communities, mine and one other, that passed a Bill of Rights. By 2016, we have now had 28 attempts by different communities to get local Bills of Rights passed. They haven't obviously all passed because they've kept some off the ballots and some communities have tried and failed. But the point is, it's growing. And they see this as like a cancer spreading throughout the state. They cannot stand this, that the people are actually now asserting their right to self-govern. And so they keep trying more and more ways to stop this. And we're, you know, and that's a good thing in a way, because what it does, it pushes them into a corner to get more blatant in their attempts to stifle the people, which then exposes to more people how corrupt the system is and how it's not really working. So in a way, they kind of help us when they do that. And just little wins that we get along the way. I mean, in Broadview Heights, we went to court over three times for these two drillers that sued to get our Bill of Rights overturned. And the court keeps siding with the drillers, that they have more rights than 67% of the people who voted to self-govern and pass their own laws. And what's interesting is by the time we got done, even though we lost the court cases, the driller came out in the paper and he said, we're not coming to Broadview Heights. He said, it's way too litigious there. We're going to go somewhere else where it's much easier. So even just, even though we lost in court, the act of us just standing up to defend our own law, you know, was enough to deter them from coming back. So that's an excellent lessons learned. How about any other? Can you? Uh, we're, we're 44 minutes. Got about 15 minutes left. Uh, what are mm -hmm. some of the things that you see as best practices when you're trying to take back control for your 
your local area. Well, again, yeah, it's about the people. And, like, every every state's different, and the laws we know are different in every state. Right. So, you know, but we have community rights networks. So besides the Ohio Community Rights Network, I mean, New Hampshire is really working. Pennsylvania has a lot going on with their community rights network. Colorado, Oregon, um, and Washington State. And there's been different attempts of bills of rights. So a worker bill of rights out in Spokane, Washington, was attempted many times. Um, In Oregon right now, they're looking at um, pesticide spraying. They have aerial pesticide spraying, and they're trying to stop that. And also they're working on GMO stuff out there because there's a lot of, we know, organic um, farming that goes on out there, and that's a threat from the corporations. Pennsylvania, you know, we've got a lot going on with injection wells and that. And it's interesting in New Hampshire, they're fighting, um, they fought things like industrial wind projects. And so it's funny how one community, because I'm in Ohio, that's being, you know, fracked and, you know, drilled to death here. Everyone here thought, oh, wind, that's great. Let's go to wind. That's renewable. And so when I started, too, I thought, oh, yeah, wind is good. Well, New Hampshire is fighting industrial wind projects. And so then the more I learned about the corporate state and how it works, it makes sense. So it doesn't make a, any difference whether it's drilling or it's industrial wind. The people in those communities, we know New Hampshire is very scenic, has some mountains. A foreign corporation wanted to come in, lease the land, and then wants to cut off the mountaintop so they can fit more wind turbines in. So an industrial wind project can be just as harmful to a community as drilling. And the people there, you know, passed community rights laws to say, no, you can't do this. I mean, this is our community. We don't want these mountaintops cut down. We don't care. And it's putting that energy on a grid to power New York City. It's not even for the benefit of the residents of New Hampshire. So it's, again, that whole thing about, you know, are you really changing the system? If you're just changing the face of electeds or if you're just changing what the harm is, the energy source, but you haven't changed really the structure of anything, it's the same thing. There's a difference between an industrial wind project and a community deciding, you know what, we're going to put a big wind turbine at the city hall complex to, you know, power, give all our energy for our city needs here, or maybe at the schools, or we're going to let people, you know, put solar panels on their roofs at their house. It's completely different than an industrial corporate project that's being forced. Yeah, that sounds like it's an issue of of self-determination by local citizens dealing with Mm -hmm. things at the local level, uh, that principle that we talk about, subsidiarity, where all problems are a local problem and the source of the problem has to be dealt with locally by having the mechanism, the information, and the authority to deal with it as the local community. And that's that seems to me to be, isn't it, where uh, CELDEF is really trying to make an impact and trying to help and assist local communities? Right, because you can't do any of that if you can't pass local laws. And so what gets in the way is that box I talked about in the legal doctrines of preemption and you know property rights and corporate rights is how they keep you from making any of those decisions that you're talking about. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Dylan's rule at the, at the top side of that box, and I am reminded of the contrary uh, to Dylan's rule is a thing called the Cooley Doctrine. It's funny, both of those guys, Dylan and Cooley, were both Supreme Court um, justices in their states. Dylan was in Iowa, and uh, Cooley was in Michigan. And Cooley's uh, perspective was the exact opposite, 
and he, he said that the local community is sovereign and has uh, the complete right to determine its own uh, laws and, and uh, authority. And unfortunately, uh, the, the uh, people in, in law and public policy in the 50 states have, have decided that Cooley was uh, wrong and Dylan was right, at least in the way things are practiced. And we have an opportunity to, uh, you know, get that corrected. So um, that's that was an exciting thing that I learned from you folks. And, and I think that these things that, that uh, CELDEF is, is giving us, it seems they're going to be really uh, very, very helpful and beneficial to us in achieving some uh, new directions for our uh, people in our society. Mm-hmm. And you talked at the, you know, the beginning, you asked me something, we were talking about a lot of people out in the streets and that and this new administration and, you know, and that's all great. I mean, because people are at least like paying some attention, which I think that's a really good thing. But a lot of them also don't have any direction. You know, there's no strategy. Right. Um, you know, so they're out there, but it, it's important that somehow we can connect with them and, you know, give them something to actually work on. And because what they're doing is they're getting funneled right back into the hamster wheel. You know, so and the then they're getting frustrated and think there's no hope. And, and uh, right. you know, we're, we're not too far into this new administration, and it's not going to be long before people are going to see that we've got the same result again. And I constantly tell people mm-hmm. the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And when we see right. in maybe a short period of time from now that the result's not changing, people are going to get frustrated again. And it's good that there's mm-hmm. organizations like the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund to uh, – keep us encouraged that we can resolve some of these issues. How much time's right. left, Terry? Uh, you guys have got about nine minutes here. But, okay. uh, one, of the thoughts, any- one of the things I thought we should just point out to people listening is where they can get some information further about CELDF at the website CELDF.org. And uh, one of the things that's on there, if you go to the education section, uh, they actually have about eight or nine videos of a democracy school that was done back in 2012. And people can go, and even before they can get uh, some of these good people down into their community to do a workshop, they could go there and get some fantastic training. I actually went through and studied those videos in detail and learned a whole lot of stuff. Um, so that today was a lot easier to grasp with all the information. The book yeah. the book we got is about an inch and a half thick, and... Uh, so I was grateful that it, this wasn't the first time through it all. Uh, Tish, I'm you know, glad that I'd been through it before. You know, that was good. And it is difficult, yeah. I understand, because it's going to take people, you know, but that's the thing, if they're not even willing, you know, to sit through an eight-hour class, you know, it's like the commitment. And I know it's hard, I mean, because the time, everybody's time is so stretched, and as they keep, you know, taking away more rights, and, you know, from that the labor unions gained for workers and things, and they're stripping those away slowly, right? People have to work harder and more jobs and more hours just to be able to make ends meet. So, you know, I know it's difficult. And so we will try to get probably more of that on the website so that people can, you know, learn some of it on their own. At their There's own also time some base. really good white papers there that I that really explain a lot of these concepts and give people – in a single sheet of paper or two pages, some really good understanding of how they can implement these things in our lives uh, to to our benefit. In terms of Ohio and even the rest of the country, what are, are there any other, in the last few minutes here, uh, some highlights that you might think uh, 
we might want to you know keep in mind uh, some areas that might be of some uh, value. Anything else? That well, comes I mean, to and you? just yeah, and just to know that it is like I said, it's spreading. We also work internationally. That's another thing. I mean, we helped Ecuador um, put rights of nature into their constitution um, many years, several years back, and it's now being tested in court and we've actually they've won not we but they actually won a case because it was having to do with a river there um that a corporation wanted to come in and change i guess the the flow of the river or whatever and they were able to use the rights of nature in their constitution to prevent that from happening so you know and we're working with other countries like india and um we've actually had some success with the ho-chunk tribe so, and in Canada, we've worked there. We've gone to Australia. Um, so I think, you know, because people are seeing with climate change, it's a different, you know, issue because we all know we could become extinct. I mean, if we don't do something and change, I mean, if we don't get out of that hamster wheel, I mean, it's going to be the end of us. People used to say, you know, that, well, the planet, you know, we're worried. Even the fact they call it climate or global climate change, and we're so worried about the planet. But actually, the planet will be fine without us. It's us <laughs> that will become extinct. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's a different way yeah. of even looking at that. And people talk about the system. And just to look at things differently, they say, oh, the system's broken and we need to fix it. Well, that's not true. If you take, like, this class and, you know, if you go online and get familiar with our work, that was, like, mind-blowing to me. It's that, no, the system is fixed. It's working exactly the way it was set up to work and to benefit those who it was supposed to benefit. We are the ones who need to break it. So that's a different we're all way of about, looking at the yeah. problem and the solution. Yeah, we're, we're all about empowering the people uh, individually and as communities. And it sounds like what SELDEF is doing is definitely taking us in the right direction in that regard. And, uh, you know, those that... And the, oh, let's talk about one other thing, and that's this whole thing that it's really not about being on the left or the right, that Mm-mm. that's really a facade that uh, has been, and Terry and I have, you know, talked about this several times in other shows, but mm-hmm. uh, let's address that real quickly as we close out. Um, the the mm-hmm. whole thing of this is not really a progressive versus conservative issue. This is about the people reengaging and being involved in uh, self-government and uh the issue of activism and, and resisting bad governmental uh, ideas and restoring the government in a way that makes a lot of sense to uh, continuing for not only ourselves but our posterity. Uh, would that be a good way to kind of see where Seldef's trying to take things? Well, yeah, that's great because we talk about that. That's all that labeling, that, again, benefits the corporate state and not us. Because, you know, we're talking about issues like your community. Well, it's interesting. I mean, when it comes to things like clean air and clean water, um, property value, things like that, pretty much everybody, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're red or you're blue or liberal or, you know, conservative or whatever. Um, And in Broadview Heights, I saw that firsthand. When we had our Bill of Rights on the ballot in 2012, that was when Obama and Romney were – on the ballot. And we had our signs to vote yes for our issue next to both of those signs. It didn't matter. And Seldust's work actually started in rural Pennsylvania, which was very conservative in what you would consider red community. So, you know, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. It's all but of us trying to survive. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
Yeah, the labeling yeah. part is like that benefits the corporate state they, because it fragments all of us so we don't work together. If I won't talk to you because you're too progressive and I'm conservative, I mean, that benefits them, not us. Exactly. We've got about three minutes left in the show. Uh, what are your final thoughts? What do you see? And again, try to leave us on an upbeat note here. Success story. <laughs> Success story? I think that, well the fact that just more and more people are waking up, and that's what it's going to take. Every movement, that's what happens. And just in my state of Ohio, I think it's interesting that in only four short years, we've moved from two attempts to 28 attempts. To me, that's a huge success story. My goal is to now, you know, when I talk to you guys again in four years, you know, we'll have over 100 communities that have tried that. And so that means that, you know, it's it's moving. That's what a movement does, right? It's supposed to keep growing and bring more people in. And so I think it's really positive. And the fact that we're spreading to other states. And I would suggest that people, too, if they want to start small, try that 90 minutes. See if you can get a hold of the documentary. Show that in your community and see what people think. It starts conversations. You can have house parties and start talking we'll if, to your neighbors. We'll see if we can find the link to that. Uh, yeah, we can put that link up very easily, Terry. And, you know, I guess... My thought is I'm, I'm excited I came up here for this today because I knew the information would be able to be taken back and we'll start using it in some parts of Florida where there's some real issues that we can wrap our minds around and start working with. And Tish, I was really glad I was able to connect with you and get here and meet you and learn from you and, and uh, uh, Emmeline today. And uh, I know that there's going to be a lot more going forward there. Um, your um, work is fantastic and I'm glad to be part of it, and we're glad that we had a chance to visit with you both today to um, get some insight to share with our people, and hopefully they'll be able to go now to the website, learn about the different resources available, and then get you folks into their town and see if they can make a difference in that respect. That'd be great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us on the show, and thanks for coming. Um, yeah, I think, Dave, you're the, you've traveled the furthest for any one of our schools here in Ohio, so thank you. Well, I'm glad, glad to come up where it's nice and cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> remind, About time you find out what the rest home. of this. <laughs> he picked now I'm going to go back where in Indiana. Now I'm going to go back where it's warm. I'm going to go back to the warm climate. <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> thank you, guys. Great. Bye. I want to thank you, and uh, this is episode 14. This is Occupy Community Rights, and we appreciate you being with us. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>